Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. Okay, welcome in everybody to another episode of The Claptrap. We are going to get into some Bruins, some Celtics, and Patriots topics today. We have some things going on that happened over the weekend. I also want to get into the All-Star Game for the NBA. Everything happened with that. We're going to talk a lot of stuff uh, that happened, including some LeBron James topics. I know everybody loves those at all times. But I can't wait to start off the show here by starting with the Bruins. All right? This team is, I don't know, it's its kind of confusing to me at this point. You had a big, 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 big time win against the Avalanche on Monday afternoon. A 5-1 to one victory over the Western Conference's top-tier team going. And a team that had beaten you before in overtime. A, a horrible loss the last time we played the Avalanche in which we were up 3-1. to one. They scored two times in the third period and then scored in the, in the overtime period. And you just blew it. Uh, a, a huge opportunity before. But this time, we didn't even have Marshan because he's still on that stupid six-game suspension. We're going to get into that as well, talking about everything with the Marshan suspension because there's been new, new light shed on the scenario after he went and tried to uh, appeal his suspension. So we're going to talk about that. But over the weekend... The Bruins were able to take care of business. They were able to beat uh, a, a Senators team that stinks, even though it took us overtime to do it. So, it, you know, after that and the Avalanche win and and the Senators win before, the Bruins actually went 3-2-1 and one without Marshand in there from his six-game suspension. He will be back on Thursday night against the Kraken, and that will be an interesting game to see how he does in his return, I would hope that he's going to do good against a bad Seattle Kraken team. I would hope that they're going to be able to take care of business and keep a little bit of a win streak going here because they're still in that second wild card spot. They're still nine points up over the next team vying for a wild card spot, but that has changed. The Blue Jackets have gone on a little bit of a run. So the Blue Jackets are now nine points behind us, and the Red Wings are 10 points behind us for that second wild card spot. So we're holding onto that position trying to gain some momentum over the Capitals, who are only a little bit ahead of us. And we're going to see how that works. Obviously, we got the trade deadline coming up. I've been talking these last couple of weeks about some possible trade opportunities for this team, what they need. Obviously, everyone knows that we need a second-line center and a top-tier or top-four defenseman, left-shot defenseman. But I was saying last week that they might need a little bit more. And I don't necessarily think that this win against the Avalanche is something that everyone should be freaking out too much about. I, I mean, you, you certainly aren't saying anything about the Senators' win, a game against a bad team in which you just barely beat them in overtime. You're certainly not saying anything about the Islanders' game, a game in which, before that game, we had things like uh, you know Cassidy calling out the defense, saying that we have too many nice guys on our team, we need them to act more like pricks, <laughs> to be honest, instead of the nice guys. That was a literal quote from Cassidy, so I completely understand it. I, I haven't had the biggest issue with the defense the entire year, if you've been listening along to me, just because I love their ability to get involved in the offense, and so maybe that's my major problem. They're not defensive enough, but I, I feel like for the past five, six seasons, one of the major things that we've always had a problem with the Bruins' defense is they don't get involved in the offense. 
they're too defensive. And so that's why we end up getting into these situations where we can't score a lot. This year, we're scoring a lot more, but our defense isn't as great. And you have times or situations where guys like Jeremy Swayman can stand on their head and win you a game still, do a great job, have a great performance. And he has been doing that. He has been dominant since coming back up after the whole Tuca experiment. And I've been extremely happy about that. As long as we can keep Linus going at at a solid clip and then we have Swayman playing really well and continuing to develop, we're looking good. And it seems like a team that needs to buy at the trade deadline. But this Avalanche game, the game that you won 5-1, to a game in which Pasternak's scoring slump has clearly ended at this point after scoring now multiple times since, you know, these last couple of games here. This game against the Avalanche, though, I don't know why everyone seems to be talking about it as as a huge win, a great win, a a signature win. And I I get that. You played against a great team. But we do all understand that this was a 1 p.m. game against a Western Conference team, a team that had to travel from Colorado to play this afternoon game in Boston. So... I mean, I'm not trying to take it fully away from the Bruins, but at the same time, we have to remember that this team did have to fly across the country to be able to play in this 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 hockey game. And sometimes, most of the times, in all sports, when teams have to do that for an early game, they usually don't bring their best effort. So I, it's a great win. I'm glad that they were able to take care of business. But, you know, where was it a sluggish effort from the Avalanche? Possibly. It seemed like they weren't 100% on their game. So, yes, great win. Do I count it as the signature win of the season? I don't think so. I think that you're going to have to find something else, something where we're going to get Marshan back. We're going to be able to, uh, you know, see what this team can do. And, and and like I said, hopefully go after some players it at the trade deadline. That would be the biggest thing for us at this time. We need to be able to get a little bit better. It's certainly not the time to sell. Though I've heard that. I've heard a lot of Bruins fans. I talked about this in the last episode. I heard a lot of Bruins fans who are ready to just kind of blow it up. Or they've been ready for years. Why haven't we blown this whole thing up? Why don't we just get rid of all these guys and start over fresh? Because I don't want to go back to just being a horrible hockey team. I don't want to go back to possibly not even making the playoffs. I still like the ability to get in and try and go on a run. And who knows at this point? We now have a goalie that is completely unproven in the playoffs. He's going to get an opportunity. That's Jeremy Swayman. You never know. What's he going to be able to do in the playoffs? Is he going to have some type of crazy performance? He could. He certainly could. We've seen goalies over the last five, six, seven seasons in the NHL, random goalies, younger goaltenders who are not as experienced, able to go on crazy runs and bring their teams to a Stanley Cup Finals. I don't know. I'm just saying, why wouldn't you want the opportunity? All right, I want to keep talking about this when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. You said that uh, I think uh, that was the best game of of this year. You know, if we're talking um, full game, 60 minutes, and um, you know, we just stayed in a moment. Uh, we were really energized, and, and you know, it was it was great win for us and, and uh, uh, big two points. It was a great win. Don't get me wrong. 
Pasternak, don't get me wrong. It was a great win. It was a great effort. You had 60 minutes of of end-to-end great play from the Bruins. But like I said in the last segment, I do believe that there was a little bit of sluggishness or or there, there wasn't the full effort from the Colorado Avalanche team that had to fly across the country to play a 1 p.m. game on a Monday afternoon in Boston. I... There's something about that that I know I, I'm, you know, you can hate on me all you want, but Bruins fans, I believe that you have to think about that a little bit just because of the fact that that happens in all of sports. It, you know, they are still human beings. We do have to remember they're not just, it's not a video game. They don't go out there and have a hundred percent stamina every time they go into the game just because they, you know, they stepped onto the ice. They do have to fly across the country. They have personal problems, all these kind of things. So, I'm just I'm not willing to give it the signature win status at this point because of that little, you know, part of the whole scenario. I, I you can say whatever you want about it, but like I said, we're in a great po- spot here. Still in the second wild card spot. I said that in the last segment. We're doing good and we're on the right path. You're about to get Marshan back from his dumb suspension that I can't keep saying enough times how how mad I am about this whole situation. And I want to talk that about that in a few seconds here. But they're in a good spot to now play against a Kraken team that is absolutely terrible. They are just they're they're I, I don't know. They, expansion teams, you're not usually going to have that Vegas Golden Knights style of of an expansion team ever, really. You just it just doesn't happen. You don't have a team that just comes in and immediately is good. So, you know, I, I'm not saying anything bad about them, but the Kraken just didn't have enough to be a good team this year. You also play the Sharks which is going to be a good uh, a San Jose Sharks team that is not playing that great right now. And you play the Kings, so that is going to be a tough one. Playing against the the Kings that are actually playing pretty decently, they're in the second wildcard spot in their, their conference as well, so they're a solid team. But over these next three games, we now have two out of the three very winnable games for the Bruins. So I'm happy about that. We're going to see how things go. I do need the, the defense, like Cassidy said, to step up more defensively, though I've been very happy with them from an offensive standpoint. You can say whatever you want about that. I've just been happy uh, with, with their puck movement and their abilities from McAvoy's and the Mike Riley's of the world to be able to, and the Grizzlicks, obviously, to be able to keep moving the puck, and that's helped us on the offensive side of things. But I get that. We need to have somebody who's more defensive-minded, and maybe that's the the main focus then of the trade deadline. Maybe it should be about the defense first as opposed to going after that second-line center because I've been pretty happy with these lines. I've been pretty happy with especially that Coyle, Frederick, and Smith line that is now your third line. I've been extremely happy with that line since that that has come to, to creation. So you now have the Halla, Hall, and Pasternak line as your second line. You have that Coyle and Smith and uh, and Frederick line as the third line. Great. And then once you get Marshan back, you now have Marshan, Bergeron, and whoever you want to put up there in that third spot. Uh, you know, I, I don't know who they're going to go with on a day-to-day basis, but that is going to be good for me. The thing that is bad for me, the thing that I'm the most upset about right now is what has come out about the Marshan stuff. What has come out about that whole situation with Jari and the Pittsburgh Penguins that I didn't understand what initially happened. And I didn't understand him trying to fight back against it, Marshan, that is, of how, oh, he wasn't going to get injured. He wasn't in a place to be injured. That's not, it doesn't matter, Marshan. You you took a shot, you punched a goalie who was down on his knees defenseless 
in the back of the head. And then you went after him again to try and put your stick in his face. Of course, he's not going to get injured by that part of it. But I, I the, the punching in the back of the head to a defenseless goalie, you're never going to get – I'm never going to be on your side for that. I don't care whose team you're on. I don't care if you're on my team or not. You don't do that. You just don't. And I was willing to give a, a, a guess, a fraction of a, a benefit of the doubt to – to Marchand once I heard what Jari had said to him. If he had said something extremely personal, something that was, you know, about one of his teammates and very personal, I, I know that there's information out there that he could have said that would, would set me off as well. I would be the same way. I would, I would probably lose my mind and see red and probably do something dumb if they said a certain thing. But it has now come out what actually was said by Jari and it is such a nothing that I am even more pissed off about Marshan for putting us in this situation for a six-game suspension at this point. Jari said, the goalie from the Penguins, said to Marshan, how about that effing save? That's it. That's all he said. That's what sent Marshan to the moon. How about that effing save? Is all Jari said to make Marshan lose his mind. He punched a goalie in the back of the head. I don't care if there's only 20 seconds left in the game. He And I don't care if it was a frustrating game. There were situations, obviously the Bergeron situation, things like that, were, were leading up to it. So whatever. You're, you're building up your emotions and whatever. He said, how about that effing save? And Brad Marchand lost it so badly that he had to punch him in the back of the head and then go after him again with the stick right afterwards. Are you a child Brad Marchand I are you are you a baby because that is what a baby does that is what a child would do in that scenario you are supposed to be one of the quote-unquote veterans of this team and you're also the one who goes out and complains in the media that because I have this uh, persona of the, all these things that I've done in my career I, that's the only reason I'm getting the suspension no it's it's pretty much because you're a crazy person at this point there's no chance that you actually went after a goalie, a defenseless goalie, because he said to you, how about that effing save? That, uh, what, are we, what, are we, what are we doing here? If that's what's going to set you off in a game, Marshan, first of all, if I'm on any other team in the entire NHL, and I've heard this now, every single game, any goalie who saves anything against Marshan, I would say, how about that effing save? Every single time. I would try and get under his skin every single time, because if it's that easy... Dude, I don't know. You got to reevaluate a lot of things. You can't go out and complain also that it's all about the fact that you've had these other incidents in your career. It's about the history. It's about the history, not about the actual incident. When it was something as silly as how about that effing save? I can't go over that enough. That's so, it's, it blows my mind. I, I mean, talk about immature. I, I don't know what else to say. All right, I got I to gotta move on to another topic. Let's do that. Let's move on to some basketball topics when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. So we just had the NBA All-Star game happen over the weekend. The entire, you know, All-Star festivities, the shootout, uh, the, the dunk contest, the three-point shootout, the skills competition, all that kind of stuff happened over the weekend. And so there was sparked a lot of interesting conversations about that. And I do want to get into that. But first, we want to go, I want to go over the recent Jason Tatum comments from his stint on the J.J. Redick podcast that he went on recently. 
on on this podcast, he was asked some different questions about all the things going on with the Celtics. Uh, this is the the old man and the three podcast with JJ Redick and Tommy Atler. And it, it's it's a good show. It's a good uh, production, and it was a good conversation that they had with Tatum. So I wanted to go over some of the comments that he had. The first ones that I want to go over were his thoughts on the 2018-2019 Celtics. So let's listen to this now, and then we'll I'll debate it afterward. LeBron, I realized that at that point I was 20 years old. Um, and I remember, like, obviously being upset. It was Game 7. We want to go to the finals, but... You know, I remember, like, you know, I, I'm going to be pretty good at this. I want to follow up on that on that second year, that 2018-2019 team, because there's a lot of speculation about that season, about that locker room. Um, and you just said, I think, something to the effect of we couldn't figure out. Why do you think that is? Why, why could that team never fully gel into what it could have been? Uh, it was a combination of, you know, Kyrie and, and Gordon coming back. And, you know, they were, obviously, we know what Kai is capable of, but, you know, Gordon was a, coming off an of all-star the year before and uh, was and still is, you know, a very, very good player. But then you have myself and JB and Terry that, you know, naturally we wanted more. You know, we were young and, you know, we knew what we just, you know, accomplished and how close we got. Um, you know, we wanted more. We wanted to be, you know, the guys. Um, and everybody was, I think, a little, you know, resistant of instead of like, no, like we're, we're all playing for the same goal. We're all going to get paid. We're all going to be all-stars or whatever. And I think life would just be better if we all win it, like we win a championship. And um, I think everybody played a part in, um, in that, I, I know I did for sure. I, you know, as bad as I wanted to win, I wanted to be, all right, we, we all knew Kyle was the best player, but I wanted to be, I wanted to be number two. And, and you know, I, you know, take responsibility for, you know, some of those things. Um, but just looking back on it, especially, you know, the Warriors not even being full strength in the championship. Of like you, you can't help to help but think like that could have been us. All right. So as you could hear from that, he is admitting Tatum is admitting to a lot of the faults of the 2018-2019 Celtics. It's nothing that anyone who was closely watching the team, you know, should have should have thought any differently about the whole situation. It was pretty clear what was going on with that whole team. Obviously, you had uh, you know too many cooks in the kitchen in a sense because of the fact. That players were coming off of injury, players had gotten bigger roles from the the playoff run the season before. Players like Jason, I mean, uh, you know, Scary Terry were were thinking that they had a a bigger role or should have a bigger role than they sh did have because of the players in front of them, all that kind of stuff. But as you heard in his comments, Jason Tatum was saying that a lot of these players were thinking, you know. I want to get some money. I want to get my stats. I want to be the number two guy. I want to be able to, you know, get more involved. I want it to be about me, me, me. That's basically what he was saying with those comments. All right? I, there's no other way you can take that. It, it was just pretty obvious that the team overall was very selfish, and, and it was something that was never going to work. It, it's upsetting that they even, or that Tatum even said that there was a possibility they could have won a championship that year, because I believe it. 
if everyone had bought in. But it was pretty clear that no one wanted to buy in. You know, and, and he said things like, obviously, we know that Kai is, is what Kyrie is capable of. But Gordon was coming off of an all uh, of an injury and he had been an all star the year before. And it was very and he's a very good player. But then you had players like Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier. And naturally, we wanted more. That's they wanted more. That was from that playoff run where you were without Gordon Hayward and you were out without Kyrie Irving the the year before, and that team went to uh, or, or got you to a game seven against LeBron, and and it was a great uh, performance by the team overall, and they were able to actually put in some good effort. It just wasn't enough, and it would have been nice if you had had an entire team effort behind it in that scenario. So nothing that we didn't already know. Or at least any of the people, maybe the green teamers ignored it. But we all should have known from that season that those players were all a little too selfish to be able to come together as a team. He said it himself. Tatum said it as himself. They, they weren't coming together as a team. They were thinking about it as everybody wanted to be a part of it in their own way. Or they were only thinking about themselves. They were thinking about, he even said it, they were thinking about, uh, you know, everybody getting paid or... Um, what was the actual quote? He said, no, we're, we're all playing for the same goal. We're all going to get paid. We're all going to be all-stars. And I think life wouldn't just have been better if we win a championship. Of course, championships make everything go away for a little bit. They're a good Band-Aid for a little bit, uh, you know, not more than a year probably or even half of a season. But I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious what that season was. It's pretty obvious what the demise of that Celtics team was from the get-go. I mean, in all honesty, it really stems back from the actual broken ankle of Gordon Hayward, if we really want to talk about it, which I don't because that was a disgusting injury, and I can't talk about that without almost puking. But it was a, a team that was never going to gel together. You had too many cooks in the kitchen that thought that they were the Gordon Ramsay of the group as opposed to just being the the, the falling into their role and, and being able to help build the entire meal together. I, I don't know. It, it was just it was upsetting then. It's still upsetting now, especially knowing the opportunities that they had at multiple points. Yes, if they had come together that year as a team, maybe you would have been able to actually challenge for a championship. But then even later on, a couple of years down the road, you blow another one against the Miami Heat in the bubble. All these things come back up when you think about how selfish some of these players were. But these were some great comments from Tatum. We have some other comments from Tatum that I want to talk about when we come back after this on 90.7. WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. All right, so we were talking about the Jason Tatum comments on the podcast, the JJ Reddick podcast that he had done last week. We were talking about his comments about the 1819 Celtics team, the team that was just a little too selfish to be able to come together as an actual team and do any damage. But he also had some other comments, Tatum did, in this podcast that I thought were worth going over. Now, these ones were all related to him being snubbed out of the all-NBA team. And so I want to play those comments now, and then we'll go over it right after. So here we are. This is Tatum talking about his all-NBA snub. The only time I let it affect me, uh, I remember last year when I was it was in the playoffs. So it might have, playoffs might have been over, and I, everybody was coming out with their all-NBA ballots and podcasts and who they were voting for and, you know, I had $30 million on the line to make it. Um, now, I, I specifically remember one person saying, 
I'm not a fan of his shot selection, so I just couldn't put him on my All-NBA ballot. And I was like, I was baffled. The fact that somebody could have that thought and basically cost someone $30 million, um, forget about me. Say the next rookie extension guys that come in. I think that has to change because there's no like criteria set for the media, the, for the voters, on, like who they should vote for. It's like all opinion based. There's no like, well, he should have to play this many games or they should be in the playoffs or average this many points. It's all like, well, you know, I, I like this guy a little bit more or certain things like that. And I think there's just a little too much on the line. Um, for that. So as you can tell, obviously he was very upset about the fact that he did not make that all NBA team. And I would be as well. You would be as well. If you were told that you weren't able to get a special accolade at work that you worked extremely hard for and were deserving of just because somebody's opinion of you was not where it should have been. That's basically what happened. He got, he lost out on $30 million dollars. Yes, anybody is going to be upset about that. $30 million, basically because the voters thought that his shot selection was one that they didn't like. It, it doesn't matter what the stats were. It didn't matter how many games he played in, like he said. It didn't matter a, a certain level criteria for the actual all-NBA status. It just mattered what the voters' opinions of his shot selections were. What? That's that's what's going to hold you back from making an all-NBA team. That's what's going to keep you from getting that extra $30 million on your big contract because somebody said that, nah, you know what, I like Tatum. He's an okay player, but his shot selection's a little weird for me, so I'm not going to vote for him. That was your That's your whole reasoning behind it? Yes, that needs to change. I mean, that, that just doesn't make any sense. I, 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 as much as I complain about Tatum, you know, complaining about or... or, or, or can just going and talking to the refs, throwing his hands up in the air, all of these different things, acting kind of childish in those scenarios. He's completely 100% right on this one. He, I mean, there's no way that you should just have this an opinion-based thing when you're talking about that kind of money and those kind of deals. And he even brought up a great point as well, Tatum did, about the fact that it's not even necessarily about him. It's not about Tatum. It's about the next guy that goes for his rookie extension, and then he plays out of his mind, and somebody else, what, gives their opinion that, I didn't like it how he dunked, and then he looked at that guy wrong, or something like that's what's going to hold you back from actually making an all-NBA team, just somebody's opinion. That stuff is terrible. I, I hate that in all sports, though, too. When we're talking about, and I've been you know, complaining about the whole with the MLB Hall of Fame and how they weren't letting the, the steroids guys in because their opinions of those people taking the steroids was so low that they can't do that, and yet they were hypocrites, and they put in you know, Big Poppy, which I love. Love David Ortiz. Love that he got to the Hall of Fame. But we're talking about opinions of different baseball writers, media members, who are just on one day... They have this opinion, and then the next day they might change it, and all of a sudden you've changed a player's entire career because of that, because one day you woke up and you decided to be pissy about the fact that his shot selection wasn't as good as you wanted it to be. That makes no sense. That's just, that's silly. What are we talking about? That's not deserved. That's not a, that's not a, 
a real critical thinking moment for that media member. He's not going in and saying, well, the statistical value of Jason Tatum versus this player made the wins above replacement, blah, 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 getting into all those statistics. It's nothing like that. That I can wrap my head around. That, if you want to give me the nerd answer and go into the actual statistics of it, wins above replacement and and plus minus and all these things and really dive into his stats and find a statistical reason why you don't want him or didn't think that he was deserving of an all-NBA team, that makes more sense to me. I can wrap my head around that. You can always find stats to make your argument at all times. You can't... It, it just... There's always going to be statistics for that. Use that, though. Don't come out and say that... You know, ah, oh man, I just didn't like his slot shot selection. That's completely opinion-based. And now you've ruined your entire argument. And now you just look like a clown, in my opinion. So Tatum is 100% correct here. There is no reason why he should have been snubbed for that all-NBA team just because of his shot selection. What? <laughs> what? I don't... Seriously, I don't understand what we're talking about here. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I think that that person in the media should have their vote revoked. I, I do. I honestly do. I, I feel like any media members who feel like it should be based off of their opinion because they're so special and they get to decide whether or not this player reaches an ultimate goal, that's silly, foolish, and that person should have their votes revoked. That's just how I feel. I don't, that's just how I feel about it. But that, that was the, the major two things that happened from that podcast conversation were those two talking points right there. I, I thought that, you know, when we talked about the last segment, the 18-19 Celtics with Tatum, that was, he made some good points about that, but he basically told us everything that we knew. And then with this one, with the All-Star snub, another great point for Jason Tatum saying that there was no reason it should have been opinion-based. It shouldn't have been. That's just silly. So uh, two, two, he brought up two things that one we all already knew, the other one we didn't know, and now we are better for knowing because, you know, screw those media members who did it on an opinion-based thing. It's just silly. It's stupid. But there's other NBA topics to talk about. Obviously, as I said before, the, uh, the All-Star game happened. The All-Star weekend happened. You had arguably the worst dunk contest of all time happened which was terrible, and I want to talk about that and some other things when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. The NBA All-Star Weekend has fallen off tremendously, in my opinion. It feels as though, at this point, they should honestly just get rid of the dunk contest because it's it's a the opposite of a must-watch. It's a must-not-watch. It's the... It's just horrible at this point. They don't do anything exciting. They have the bottom-of-the-barrel talent of the NBA. No offense to any of those players, but I don't really need to see Obi Toppin and how he can dunk. He's still just trying to figure out the NBA, let alone figure out how to do a, a between-the-legs dunk for, for a huge crowd. It just There was no excitement behind it. There was no, the pageantry, the, the, the surprises, the costumes, all that kind of stuff. There was nothing. There was nothing special. It was just a bunch of guys, four guys, trying to dunk the basketball, messing up constantly, barely any good dunks in this whole entire, you know, situation that they had that they brought together, which has just gotten worse and worse over time. This used to be a competition of some of the top-tier athletes in the league going head-to-head -head in something like this to, uh, you know, inspire awe and shock to the entire crowd or to the entire NBA fan base. But now, it's just something that they're doing out of obligation because they know that in the past everybody liked the NBA dunk contest. 
There's no point in having it anymore. It's silly. It's it's dumb. It's useless. The three-point contest is always the same, which is fine, and I think that there's nothing wrong with that one. But there's something that they have to change about the dunk contest if you want that to be able to be a viable product going forward you have to change something up about it you have to do something weird where it's like amateur dunkers versus pro dunkers or you have to do it a, a team thing or it's a there has to be something new a new wrinkle to it to make it interesting because otherwise it's just a dying product there's no point in doing it i i think it's silly but that was the weekend part the skills competition all that kind of stuff and then you go into sunday and you have the actual all-star game and everybody knows that this game, 90% of it is played with no defense. It's a glorified pickup game, or even, even less defense than you would get in a pickup game. It's, it's just something where it's fun. You get to all the flashy passing and dunks, and Steph Curry's going nuts and hitting a million threes, and he's shooting from the logo and, and turning around before the shot's even halfway to the bucket, and he knows that it's good, all this kind of stuff. It, it's fun. It's entertaining from that side of things. But it, there is some goofy stuff that comes from it, too. Like the fact that, and here we go, we're going to do some a little bit of LeBron James hate in this episode. So all the LeBron lovers out there, you're probably going to want to tune out at this point. But there was goofy moments like LeBron James hitting the quote-unquote game-winning shot in the at the end of the game uh, in which they were already up 161 to 160 and had the ball, and then he does this turnaround jumper. I just want to do his comments real quickly this is LeBron James talking about that moment. Uh, to answer your first question, I, I, I'm, I couldn't have dreamt it. I could not have dreamed of that moment any better than the actuality that just happened. Uh, for me to be back here, you know, like I keep staying 35 minutes south of where I grew up here in Akron, Ohio, um, to hit the game winner in the All-Star game where me and my guys back in the back, we you know, used to watch the All-Star game. And, you know, I remember 25 years ago, we was – 12, 11, wishing that we had the opportunity or the means to come up to Cleveland and see some of the greatest basketball players of all time because they inspired us so much. Um, um, and for me to be here today, uh, for my best friends, um, to be here for my wife and my kids and my family, my mom, and so many people that um, seen me grow from a, a, a really a young toddler to who I am today, it was a, I couldn't even... I couldn't picture that moment any better. I mean, come on, LeBron. You're going to get this heartfelt about it, and it's all about Cleveland and how I did it, you know, for Cleveland. Or, or, you know, I never thought that I'd be in this moment where I'd be able to do this in front of all these people, and I hit the game-winning shot in the NBA. Also, It wasn't the game-winning shot, LeBron. Come on, man. I it just This is always my thing with LeBron. It just, he has to make it like he's the biggest, best thing at all times, even when it's not a situation to do that. He already is. He already is one of the biggest and one of the best players of all time. He is that. He doesn't need to try and keep proving it to everyone that he is one. And I get it. You have to have that mentality. If you want to be the best, you got to keep acting like the best at all times. But what are we talking about? This was a game-winning shot. You're acting like this was a meaningful game. It was an exhibition, an all-star game. You did a turnaround jumper when you were already up one point, and you did it to like beat the buzzer. It was just, or or you to win the game. It wasn't that important. You're acting like it was some kind of big moment in your career. It wasn't. It just wasn't. And I know, whatever. I'm a hater. I admit that. Card carrying member. I say it every single time we do this because I know that there's people out there that just say, "Oh, you're just hating against LeBron because you don't like him and you don't like what he does." 
Well, yeah, that's part of it. I think that he's a little bit of a twerp when he's off the basketball court, but I fully admit that he's the second greatest player of all time behind Michael Jordan. I've said that countless times. So any of you ha people who are hating on me for hating on him, just remember that that is my overall stance on him. But the stuff that he does off the court, the stuff that he does in these meaningless situations to try and make himself better, to try and make him, hey, everyone, look at me. I hit the game-winning shot in the All-Star competition. Nobody cares, or nobody should I don't understand it. And this wasn't even the worst comments that he made over the weekend. There was some other stuff that he did as well, like saying that Cleveland had three All-Stars in the All-Star game because they had Jared Allen and that Garland kid, and they had LeBron James, right? Because he's from Akron, Ohio. So he was obviously, he's the third Cavalier that's in the All-Star. No, LeBron, you're not on the Cavs. You're on the Lakers. You left the Cavs for the second time in your career, left them in the dust, left them in a horrible situation after you dismantled their team to go on your one championship run. Then you ran off to Lakerland, and now you're doing the same thing to them. You're already talking about leaving. You're already talking, you've already dismantled their entire team. So, just little comments like that just piss me off every time. You're saying that Cleveland had three All-Stars because you were there, LeBron? That's not how it works. You just sound silly. And yes, it just gives ammo to all of us haters who hate you already, LeBron. But, I, I mean, if you're a LeBron James lover, I don't understand how you can look at that comment and think that it was like a great comment or whatever. But even then, even after all that, that wasn't even the biggest comment of the weekend from LeBron James. And I want to talk about that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Ooh, yes. Feed me some more things to hate about LeBron. I love this stuff. I went over it in the last segment. We were talking about the LeBron hate, hate, hate of the week. And I'm bringing, you know, back on just because when he brings in himself into these scenarios, where he says things that he just shouldn't say. I have to. I have to talk about it. I, I, I know that it's probably annoying to some people out there, but I know that there's also a lot of people that still hate LeBron James as much as I do. So these moments are worth talking about. I, I just got to say that. But I already went over his comments about how, how he felt amazing for winning, hitting the quote-unquote game-winning shot in the All-Star game. I already went over the fact that he said that, that Cleveland had three All-Stars in the All-Star game because he was one of the All-Stars in the All-Star game because he obviously represents all of Cleveland still, even though he's a Los Angeles Laker. I already went over all that in the last segment. If you haven't heard it, you can hear it on the podcast later. But the most ridiculous thing that he brought up this weekend to make it all about LeBron, another LeBron weekend, was his comments about Bronny James, his son, who is going to be coming into the NBA within the next two or three seasons. His quote was, My last year will be played with my son. Wherever Bronny's at, that's where I'll be. I would do whatever it takes to play with my son for one year. It's not about money at that point. So, it is official. LeBron James, we knew this before. We knew that LeBron was wanting to play with his son as soon as he gets into the league. And now, Bronny James is in his junior year of high school right now. So, he's got to play his senior year. And then, he's got to play one year in college before he can go to the NBA. So, he is in the league in either two or three seasons. Or, or three years. He is going to be in the league. But the thing is, now with this whole conversation and him and LeBron James bringing this all up, does Bronny James's value get inflated because of it? Obviously, it does. 
obviously it does. If any team in the NBA knows that LeBron James comes as a package deal with his son, now all of a sudden, Bronny James moves up 10, what, 10, 15 spots, maybe 20 spots in the draft just because it's LeBron James' son and you're getting LeBron James on top of it, which I understand that completely, by the way. LeBron is still averaging one of his career highs for points per year. He's having less free throws. He's not taking it to the hoop as much because he's getting older, but he is still very efficient and very able to play, and I'm sure he'll be able to play until he's 41, 42 years old, whatever, if he wants to. I'm sure he'll be able to figure out the game. He's strong enough. He's big enough. He knows the game. He has the IQ. He has the passing ability. He is great enough to be able to play that long. The thing that I find a problem with is the fact that he is just doing this to pump up or bump up his son in the draft. That's got to be it, right? Because his son is being looked at as a barely fringe, maybe for end of first round player, most likely second round pick in the NBA draft. So by doing this now, he moves up to a lottery pick in the NBA draft. He just does. If you're able to get not only Bronny, but LeBron James, both of them together, teams are going to be salivating for that opportunity. The ability to have LeBron's last games in the NBA, the fanfare that goes with that, the the goodbye tour, all that kind of stuff, the, the amount of ticket sales that you will get and the jersey sales and all that kind of stuff that a team will get for having LeBron on their team as he retires – will be huge. Astronomical numbers is what every franchise can expect to do from that scenario. But you're also going to have to go up and get Bronny James to do so. So like I said, you're going from possible second round talent kid who is not going to make much of himself in the NBA to now he's all of a sudden becoming a top tier pick in the NBA draft because of what you bring with LeBron into that situation. So I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting move by LeBron. He can do whatever he wants, though. We all know that. He can do that. He's a player. He can do whatever he wants. I find it funny that he's already dismantled the Lakers and he's already talking about going to whatever team his son goes to. He's already talking about leaving the Lakers. I love that because I hate the Lakers and I hate LeBron. So I love the fact that he's just ruining that team. That is making me very happy. It doesn't look like they're going to do much this year, especially after Anthony Davis just got injured. This is going to be a weird scenario, though, overall. I, I find this funny. I also found there was a funny joke that I saw on Twitter about this whole situation that I wasn't even thinking about, uh, but BJ Armstrong on the uh, the Hoop Genius podcast talked about Bronny teaming up with his dad, and can you imagine... Uh, if it was like the, the guys on the team wanted to go out, but your dad's in the lobby being like, you better get your butt back to bed. <laughs> Just, I thought that was so, that's a funny image to think of Bronny James finally makes it into the league. He's finally with an NBA team. He's getting to be all buddy, buddy with his fellow teammates and all this stuff. And they're like, man, we're going out on the town. We, we, you know, it's your first NBA game. Let's go and do it. And then LeBron's just sitting in the lobby waiting for him, being like, you better get your butt back to bed. You think you're old enough to go out on a on a, <laughs> on a a night where you're supposed to be playing a basketball game the next day or whatever? No, you got to get back to training. you got to get back to focusing. He is going to be the hardest parent to deal with when he's on your team. So I don't know. I, I feel like... <laughs> That scenario, that that imagery is just funny to me. But that whole scenario, it doesn't seem like it's going to go well for him. It doesn't seem like it's going to go well for Bronny James. Maybe it'll go good for LeBron. It depends on what team he ends up going to. But, man, I, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> That whole scenario is funny. I thought that it was uh, not shocking at all that LeBron made the entire weekend about him because it is still technically his league. 
It is. It's LeBron's league. I know that I would say that Durant currently is a better player, but it is LeBron's league still. So he gets to do whatever he wants. He gets to say all these things. He gets to take all the spotlight. I get that. But also, it doesn't mean I have to like him for it. It's still very unlikable. Very unlikable, very hateable LeBron James, all this stuff. And now he's using his ability. The only thing that I can say that's great about this is it's just a parent looking out for their, their child. If you take it and you break it down to just that, that's a great thing. He's, he's looking out for his kid. He's going to make his kid a lot more money by pushing him up into a, a lottery pick as opposed to a second-round pick in the NBA draft. So a lo lot of interesting things from that perspective right there. All right. I want to start talking about some NFL stuff to kind of wrap up the show. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Okay, time to start talking about more Patriots offseason talk. We have some new information developing about J.C. Jackson and that whole situation with the Patriots. Obviously, this week, players or teams can start being uh, using the franchise tag on players, I should say. And they have up until March 8th to do so. So you rarely see a player franchise tagged anywhere in the early stages of this process. Usually it's within the last couple days of everything because teams are trying their best to either work out a deal, to sign the player, or to trade the player, or figure out what they can do to bring them in on whatever deal they can. So... You have J.C. Jackson as one of the top options in the NBA or in the NFL to be franchise tagged at this point. He is up there with names like Devontae Adams and and some other players that could possibly go for the one year deal uh, just to be kept on the team. And I think that, in all honesty, that is where I'm leaning towards at this point with J.C. Jackson. Now, the problem with the Patriots right now is we really have no depth behind J.C. Jackson for a top-level cornerback, right? And I've never said that J.C. Jackson was not a number-one cornerback. I've always said that he is just not a lockdown cornerback. But the deals that I'm seeing possible for this player are that of number one lockdown player status cornerbacks in the league. And I'm just, I'm a little worried about it. I gotta, I, I'm not lying here when I say I'm a little more than a little worried about this. Because if you give this player a gigantic contract, he then has to live up to the contract. And the last time we gave a big contract to a cornerback was Stefan Gilmore. And yes, he lived up to that contract. He did more than enough. The ending was kind of rough, but otherwise he lived up to that contract, did everything that he needed to do. He got better every year. He, he played and helped win a Super Bowl for this team. He did it. Can J.C. Jackson live up to a contract, though, where he's making 18, 19, upwards of $21, $22 million per season? I don't think so. I personally am not there with this player. I've seen things like contract projections saying four years, $72 million. That would be a great deal. That would, that would be the low end of what everyone is predicting for him. I, and I was talking on Twitter with Andrew, who I bring onto the podcast and the show from time to time, and talking about what he thought about the player. He's thinking that on, on the open market, J.C. Jackson can get about $22 million annual average value on his contract per season. That's what he's thinking. It would, it would roughly add out to. That is a lot. 
I got to say, that is so much money to throw at a player who, yes, he has had a lot of interceptions, and he has played really well. And I've said it. He is our number one guy. He has earned that spot. But is he a lockdown guy? A guy that you need to wrap up with a huge contract for four years? No. Not in my opinion. No, he's not. And these new comments that come out uh, over this last couple of days that I've been hearing about him saying things like he has not been getting talked to by the Patriots. He's not follow or being you know, pursued or anything like that. And so maybe the team doesn't want him. Maybe he is, you know, an expendable asset. That's how it goes in New England. I'm sorry, bro. I, I, I don't know what else to tell you in that scenario. He, You are just going through the normal motions with the Patriots. That's just, they did that to everybody. They done that to Tom Brady. So I don't know. Don't be surprised, J.C. Jackson, when you get a little bit of the runaround from the Patriots when it comes to contract time, especially when you're going out there and saying things like this quote that I just recently heard from Phil Perry, who got to sit down with J.C. Jackson. One of the quotes that he had in that conversation was, I'm taking it day by day, but it's time for me to get paid. It's time for Mr. INT to get paid. Okay, so I got to make an honest admission here I have never heard him call himself or never heard him called Mr. INT now I went and did a little bit of digging and on his his Twitter account the the actual profile name is Mr. INT so I don't know if this has been a thing if it has been a thing whatever you can you can make fun of me all you want for it but I have never heard him called Mr. INT and I have certainly not heard him start to talk about himself in the third person as Mr. INT that is something that is going to stick in my craw for a while and make me start to dislike JC Jackson I'm sorry but the last time I heard you really kind of talking about your abilities, J.C. Jackson, was when you were trying to figure out what you were going to name your island because you thought that you were on that level. You were saying this going into a matchup against Stefan Diggs, who absolutely torched you in that game. He, you, I, There's nothing anyone can say, even the biggest J.C. Jackson fans cannot tell me that he did anything against Stephon Diggs all season. St Diggs just wrecked you. I'm sorry, J.C. I wanted you to be better. I wanted you to show up. I wanted you to be able to go into that game with all of the bravado of saying, look at me, I'm the kind of guy that could put people on the island. I'm trying to come up with a name for my island, and you didn't do it. Nobody did. Nobody stepped up in that game for the Patriots against the Bills. Let's just be honest about that. Nobody did. But, JC, you were a part of the problem as well. So I don't want to hear, I need to get, it's time to get Mr. INT paid, talking in the third person about yourself. I don't want to hear that. But listen, I've said it before. There's something about the cornerback position and the wide receiver position. You need to be able to talk that trash. You need to be able to talk and say things and give yourself that confidence. I get that. That is one of the things that comes with the territory. But when you try and do that and you fail miserably like you did against Diggs, now you have to pull it back and you have to try and become one of the more like the Stefan Gilmore types, the silent but deadly types, the guy that's just going to go out there and do all his talking on the field with his play rather than in the media. Because this kind of stuff, when you haven't done enough recently, I don't care about the interception numbers. I've talked about that before. I feel like he's a right place, right time kind of guy and he's great at that. But he also makes a lot of mistakes too. And he's certainly not a lockdown corner. And he's not somebody that I want on the team for four years, average value 22 per year. I just don't want it. 
I, I can't, I'm out. I'm completely out on that scenario. And I will say it again, as I've said it before, there is no way he will live up to that contract if we give it to him. All right, I got one more topic I want to talk about. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Okay, we got one last segment of the show here. I want to go over something really quickly, and then maybe we'll do a little bit of a jump around to get to the topics that I didn't get to at the rest of the show. But if you missed anything, as I always say, this will be up as a podcast anywhere they're found, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Just search The Claptrap. If you missed any of the show, you'll be able to go back and listen to it. But this was a pretty good one. We got into some good topics in this discussion today. But the last thing that I really want to talk about, and it is still football-related, it's around the Patriots. It's about a possible signing for the Patriots in free agency. Now, a lot of people are talking about needing to get the number one wide receiver. I'm right there with you. I want that type of a player on this squad. But there's somebody that I've heard recently that pro football focus projected they are going to take or go after in free agency. And that name is Juju Smith-Schuster. That is the wide receiver that was on the Pittsburgh Steelers. He played along Antonio Clown, and he you know, tried to take over that, that receiving group in Pittsburgh, but then they just started ke- continuing to turn out more and more good draft picks in Pittsburgh as they do in that wide receiver spot. And so Juju Smith-Schuster was a thing of the past. And this is normally the type of player that I absolutely love the Patriots to go after, somebody who's been given up on by another team. Maybe he's had a little bit of an injury pass. Maybe he has a little bit of off-field antics type type of pass or something like that. And he's the perfect type of guy to rehab with like a one-year deal for the Patriots. And that's kind of what they're all looking at right now. They're looking at a one-year, six to eight million dollar contract for Juju to come in and basically be the de facto number one receiver of this team. And all of that sounds great on paper. But the major problem that I have with that is the fact that he is best when coming out of the slot. In an offense, he is a slot wide receiver. If you think about it, when you break down the Juju Smith Schuster style of play, and this team, we already kind of have the guys to fit into those roles. You got I love Kendrick Bourne, and then you also have Hunter Henry, and uh, you're hoping that Jonu Smith is going to be able to turn into something and play in that slot role as well. But also. You're assuming that you're going to bring back Jacoby Myers, who's another guy who's best fit in the slot. So all this team would have at this point is a bunch of slot receivers, and you'd have nobody on the outsides. I've talked about this before with Andrew. That is one of the things that this team needs to go after is a player that can actually do something outside the numbers, not inside. We got guys that can go inside. We got running backs, tight ends, and we got some wide receivers that can all go inside. But our outside wide receivers as of right now are Nelson Aguilar and Nikhil Harry. That's trash. That's just not good for this team. So I love the thought of this type of a player, the guy that's at the end of his career. He's trying to rehab his image. Not at the end of his career. I'm sorry. I think he's only 26 years old. But he's trying to rehab his image as a player. He's trying to get back to a certain standard, all this stuff. That is the type of player that I would love to have. You can get him on the the cheap and easy deal, make him prove himself, and then you can either keep him or get rid of him, usually get rid of him. But I don't want to go after Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't think that he would fit in this scheme. This would not be an addition to this team. I think there's other players that we could go after. So I'm going to be looking into that, obviously, as we continue in the offseason talk. But that is just kind of how I feel about that. But there was other things that happened in the NFL 
that I thought was really worth. I haven't been really talking about this whole thing. I haven't talked about the whole Buccaneers stuff much on this podcast. I don't talk about the Tom Brady stuff. I don't talk about the Antonio Clown stuff. But this thing that I saw, it was just too much for me. I, I have to comment on it because I, I just find it so funny that all of these people were upset about the fact that the Patriots let Antonio Brown go because of he him being crazy. And, and everyone was like, what do you do when Tom Brady loves Antonio Brown? You got to keep Antonio Brown on the team because you got to keep Tom Brady happy to keep him here. And then Brady goes down to the Bucks and he immediately brings Antonio Brown there. And they did. They won a Super Bowl and that was great. And they did a great job and congratulations to you. But you also had to see the writing on the wall coming that this was an absolute crazy person. You had this this whole situation with him quitting mid-game on the field, talking and taking ripping off his jersey, throwing it in the crowd, dancing through the end zone mid-play, getting your team a penalty, all this kind of stuff. You had to see that coming from the millions and millions of situations that Antonio Brown has put himself in over the years that he's played in the NFL. This guy is crazy. And maybe you have to attribute it to some major hits that he's taken in his le- in the league, and that could be one thing. But this guy is just a crazy person, I believe, fully, when, when we're talking about this stuff. He's now telling not only the Buccaneers, but Tom Brady to go F themselves because of that whole situation. He tried to come out and put on his Instagram story some picture about his injury to clear his name or to try and tell people that, you know, he was in the right in this scenario. He wrote on his Instagram story, they tried to hurt me intentionally. The Buccaneers did. Sent me out there after knowing I was still hurt. Tom said he would throw throw it to me if I came out to play hurt. I came. He didn't throw it. Imagine being hurt having to play through this and being lied to coach said if I couldn't run on this get the f out of here he said and then Antonio Brown goes on to say f all you mfers still can't stop me NFL now he posted a picture behind it of a clearly injured foot he has an x-ray that he posted on there but if you look closely enough in the x-ray this x-ray was done back in 2021 in October or uh, of of 2021 this was a very old uh x-ray before any of this stuff actually even happened to Antonio Brown but before any of the blow up happened before it was talked about before we even knew it was a thing this was an injury that the Buccaneers already knew about he took time to rehab this injury he came back and was supposedly healthy and then he starts complaining that he's not healthy and the team is questioning what the heck is going on you've been cleared what what is the deal you just don't seem like you want to play so Congratulations to all the people that desperately wanted Antonio Brown to be with Tom Brady and for Tom Brady to want this crazy person in his house and around him at all times. Great. He was a great wide receiver and all, but he is a literal crazy person and he continues to say things that show how dumb he is constantly. So I don't know. Congratulations. You guys got your Super Bowl and you had Antonio Brown for a little bit, but did you think that it was going to end any other way? I don't see how you could. I just don't see how you could. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. Just want to say thank you to everyone tuning in. I will be back again later in the week on Friday to keep talking about everything going on. We have got some Celtics and Bruins games that will be happening tomorrow night. They're finally back in action after a little bit of a layoff here. We're going to see what they can do going forward. We'll have trade deadlines coming up. we got... uh, off-season stuff for football. We've got MLB going through meetings, seeing if they can come together and actually have a season. 
It's going to be a lot to talk about over these next couple of weeks. I can't wait to do it. I hope everyone has a great rest of your week. Like I said before, this will be all up as a podcast, wherever podcasts are found. Just search The Claptrap. You'll find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever it is. I'm also up on Twitter at The Claptrap or on Instagram at The Claptrap, posting a lot of questions recently about what you guys think about what's going on around all the leagues. So follow along and you'll be able to interact with me there. One more time, I appreciate you all for tuning in to WKKL and listening to this podcast. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative.